Conversations podcast. This episode is made up of four parts. This is part one of four. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations Interpreting and Translating podcast for our special episode of Ask Nati. Uh, so this is our first Ask Nati episode for 2021, continuing on from last year's episode. So our second episode all up, but the first one for the year. Um, we said last year that we would do these at the end of each month, but uh, this year we have decided to do them uh, quarterly. Um, so we will get your questions in and we'll try to answer as many as possible. And uh, for this episode, uh, our panel has kindly uh, decided to answer all the questions that came in. Um, so uh, make sure that you tune in to get the answer to your question. Uh, today, I am very lucky to have uh, with me uh, two NATI representatives on the panel. I have Certification Policy and Development Manager Orly Sheehan. Hello, Orly. Welcome. Hi. And I have the National Operations Manager Michael Nemerich on the panel as well. Hello, Michael. Thank you for Hello. joining. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, thank you both for taking the time to answer questions from practitioners uh, and uh, candidates from all over Australia and uh, even one international one, and we'll, we'll talk about that one too. Um, we have questions from New South Wales, Victoria, Western Australia, uh, South Australia, as well as uh, New Zealand. All right, so uh, international questions, uh, we could say, uh, for this episode. Okay, um, we're going to start with some easy ones, and then we might get into uh, some other questions that might be uh, a little bit more challenging for our panel today. Okay, so let's start with um, an interpreter from New South Wales, uh, from Dinka language. Do persons with skills such as publishing works in a mother tongue and a degree in English, such as myself, need to sit a NATI test? Who'd like to take this one? I can answer that one. Um, for everyone who wants to sit an ATI test, they need to meet uh, certain uh, requirements. So in that case, if this person wanted to uh, become a practitioner, they would have to, a certified practitioner, they would have to sit the test in spite of, of the experience they, they might already have. So it doesn't matter what experience you have or what qualifications you have, you have to sit this test. Yeah, if you want to have a credential, if you want to be certified, you do have to sit the test. Um, and uh, there are certain requirements to be eligible to sit the test, such as English proficiency, EC and IC, I mean, intercultural and ethical uh, competency as well. So depending on, on the pathways, uh, this, would need, this would be required. Thank you. And where can people go to for more information about the testing? Well, all the information is on our website, um, so they they can look at our candidate information and also the different uh, pathways that are um, presented on the website. Um, so if they go under our services, uh, they should be able to find some information about the pathways um, and under practitioners. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of information about the test type, so yeah, it's all there. Very good. Now, there is indeed uh, quite a lot of information about mm -hmm. uh, the test and the test types, and it's quite easy to navigate the NATI website. That's uh, nati.com.au. 
All right, next question is uh, from New South Wales again, uh, from a Macedonian certified provisional interpreter. When do I need to submit my application before the expiry date? Um, I'm assuming that this is about recertification. Yeah, so uh, applications open three months prior to expiry date for practitioners. We would obviously encourage all practitioners to use the logbook uh, during the course of their certification period, so it's not a last-minute rush and get everything done, uh, but three months before they can submit the application, and applications are also open three months past the expiry date as well, noting that once they've expired, they wouldn't be able to practice, but they don't have to go through a whole process of being tested again uh, if it is in that three months past the expiry date time. Okay, but uh, make sure to log your work and log your PD throughout the three years. Don't leave it to the last minute. Don't leave minute. it to the last minute. Okay, I've got another one from New South Wales. Uh, this one is uh, from an interpreter who speaks many languages, Serbian, Slovenian, Croatian and Bosnian. What do I need to do to recertify for certified and recognised practising translators? Yeah, sure. Um, so to um, to res to recertify, well, for translators, they need to meet uh, a number of requirements, uh, such as work practice, and um, minimum requirement is thirty thousand words for the three year period. Noting that at the moment, uh, because of COVID, uh, NATI has reviewed the requirements. So if the twenty twenty year is part of the certificate recertification period, then we only requiring uh, twenty thousand words. Um, and, of course, they also have to undertake some professional development and have a minimum of 120 points. Um, however, again, uh, we've reviewed the requirements for that certification period, including 2020, uh, down to 80 points. Uh, very good. So perhaps um, this interpreter has a certification in all oh, of these sorry. languages. Yeah. Um, in that case, would it be, you know, 30,000 or 20,000 for the COVID period for each of those languages and each directions, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, each each combination would be a credential. So if they are like, um, if they are, if this person has interpreting uh, credentials, so that's in both directions, so that's one credential in itself. But for translation, if they had a credential for each direction, they would have to recertify for each direction. So if you have two certifications for two languages, you have to get them in both directions if you have certifications in all those directions, but one set of PD points is enough to cover all certifications. Yeah, yep, that's correct. Okay, very good. Uh, how many hours of work do we need to do in the three-year period? This is from a Victorian certified provisional interpreter in the Macedonian and Serbian languages. I'll take that one, which is, um, yeah, so it's 40 hours, it's 120 hours uh, over the three-year period, on average 40 a year, um, as I really was saying with translators, though we've revised those requirements because of COVID, uh, and it's 80 hours over the three-year period for interpreters, or 80 assignments. So it can be a cumulative 80 hours, um, or it can be 80 individual assignments, noting there's a lot of jobs that are 15-minute telephone jobs and the like. Uh, so that would also count in that scenario. Yep, so there's a lot of video interpreting and a lot of telephone interpreting these days because of COVID. 
And so each assignment uh, is counted as, or each, each phone interpreting job, even if it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, is it counted as an assignment? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, very good to know. Um, oh, here's one about the portal. Sometimes I have a problem logging on even when all the details are correct. This is from a Certified Provisional Interpreter from Western Australia in the Swahili language. Yeah, we would just recommend, I mean, it's hard to know uh, the exact problem they were having, but uh, email, contact email address is info at nati.com.au. Uh, we would recommend someone contacting us through that. Often it's a case of um, just being able to reset their password for some reason, um, whether it's an incorrect password being entered or someone else has tried to register with the same email address. It's hard to know exactly the um, issue, but if they email us at info at nadi.com.au, uh, we'd be able to assist. Okay, thank you. All right, so this one is from New South Wales. Uh, we have a recognised practising candidate, I think, uh, from the Rohingya language. This one's a bit long, so bear with me. There's a bit of a backstory. Uh, Nati has rejected my recognised practising interpreter application twice. My evidence of English proficiency test was dated 2018 December with a speaking score of 5.5, which is now expired. The skill set course with government subsidies is not available in New South Wales. I have work experience and attend many PD events. Is it possible for Nati to give special consideration for someone like me who is of mature age who can't re-sit IELTS? Is it possible to review my application? Thank you. So, uh, <laughs> yes, it was a long question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, so, we've got minimum requirements um, for all uh, practitioners. So, and, and that also includes uh, a minimal uh, level of English uh, proficiency. Uh, so, in a case like this, we would still expect that person to show that uh, level of English competency. And that can be done in a variety of ways through yields, through TOEFL, um, Cambridge certificates, and all, all these kind of things. So, there are varieties, there are lots of ways of demonstrating that. Okay, thank you. Um, is there a way of uh, giving a special consideration for someone with a mature age? We, we actually don't uh, have different double standards or different uh, considerations for the level of requirements that we ask for. So, unfortunately, in that case, we wouldn't be able to do that. We would expect all, all practitioners to uh, or candidates to demonstrate the same. All standards apply to all candidates. Thank you. Okay. Um, this one is from Victoria and uh, from a student who's doing a master's course, okay? I'm currently taking a two-year master's course in interpreting and translation at Monash University. I have completed 75% of my course. Why am I not eligible to sit for the NATI test while a friend of mine studying a translation course at Melbourne RMIT could sit for the test with 50% completion of the course? Um, so... Without knowing the circumstances of the friend, it's a bit hard to say. Uh, as a general rule, we would say that um, completion of the training uh, for any level uh, is um, the most appropriate course of action because it gives the best 
ability to pass what is a, you know, a challenging test for NATI. Uh, we have made exceptions for people in the past in this, particularly at the master's level, where they've demonstrated previous experience and study that would have met uh, minimum training requirements anyway, and where their visa is expiring or they have a family event they need to get to that would prevent them taking one of the scheduled tests, we can make some exceptions, again, particularly for master's students, sometimes in the case of bachelor's students. Uh, anything below that, um, not um, as much, but we would still um, go back to the same advice that finishing the qualification is the best um, course of action because it gives the best chance of passing uh, the test. Uh, could it also be uh, that some of the courses that they have elected or the courses that relate directly to the certification subjects, maybe they have completed those in one university, while in the others, maybe uh, the courses that they've elected or the, the, the translational interpreting courses that they've elected actually they haven't completed yet? Yeah, that's correct. If um, Let's use an ethics unit, for example, Ethics is a, a critical part of the prerequisites for all NADI tests at every level. So if the three quarters of the master's course that had been done didn't incorporate that ethics component, then that may be a reason why it wasn't possible. Maybe they hadn't taken that course yet. Yeah, yeah. 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 so correct. But you know, in again, in that scenario, if someone has completed 75%, particularly at bachelor's or master's level, uh, email us info at nadi.com.au and we can talk through individual circumstances. Again, we want to be flexible. We want as many people to, to join the certification program as possible. Uh, and if there is special circumstances that need looking at, we're certainly flexible in that. Okay, so for this person who asked this question, please uh, email Nati, explain your situation, and um, see what happens. Okay, how do I get information about the latest updates for the tests? This one's from Victoria, uh, from a Mandarin Cantonese Certified Provisional Interpreter. Where do they get more information from about the tests? So, um, was it about the latest changes you said? Um, so, um, I'm not sure if this person is referring to the test format or the test date. Um, so, in terms of the test format, there are no changes planned. Uh, I mean, NET is constantly reviewing uh, uh, what we're doing, and and you know, uh, but we're actually not planning any changes uh, at the moment. So, there wouldn't really be updates around that. So, then, if it's around um, test uh, dates or test location. Um, that would be uh, they would be informed by an email directly. Uh, I mean, each candidate would be informed about changes affecting their testing session. So that would be through a direct communication with Natty. Uh, so yeah, um, Michael, do you have anything to add about about this? Uh, that would just yeah. be an email, really. Yeah, email usually, or where it's a, um, I'll give an, a specific example, which is where Western Australia uh, at the start of the year went into a snap lockdown um, and we had Cantonese happening in that week and the state staff in Western Australia contacted each of those candidates uh, directly because of the short time frame to talk about what their options were, whether it could be done online, whether it was needed to be postponed. So if it is a schedule change in a short period of time, they'll be contacted directly um, by a, 
a state staff member that was conducting the test. Uh, if it's a longer timeout, like if we change the test date for something happening at the end of this year, it would just be via email. Um, and then, as Oralee said, no actual changes to the test mechanics or format at this stage. If there were any changes, I'm sure they could find out, uh, whether it be on your website, there are newsletters that get sent yeah. out as well, um, that they can get that information from there. And, of course, you know, I'll be chatting to you over the year as well, whether it be in an Ask Nati episode or we do a podcast about a particular issue. Um, mm. Listeners can also tune in to get the latest information uh, and updates for Nati. Okay, thank you. This one's from Victoria um, and uh, Certified Provisional Interpreter Somali Language. I would be very happy if Nati answered this query regarding my overdue application test for Certified Interpreter. In fact, since I'm eligible for the test, I did apply to upgrade my certification in February 2020. Unfortunately, my application was put on hold for an indefinite time. So my question is, why NATI does not consider the keen and competent interpreters and translators who wish to enhance their level of certification? So this is certified provisional interpreter uh, in the Somali language who wants to uh, update their skills, upgrade their skills to the certified interpreter level. Why can't they? Yeah, it's a um, scale issue is probably the short answer. So. We, um, there is uh, over 200 languages spoken in Australia, um, according to the last uh, um, census data in 2016. Uh, the ability for us to test in a language requires us to have a competent and skilled level of examiners, competent and skilled level of role players available, and a suitable number of candidates to be able to invest the money and time into creating a test. So uh, even in a scenario where, let's say, there was 10 candidates that wanted to take a test um, at a certified interpreter Somali level, uh, we would still be beholden to the um, requirement to have the appropriate skilled examiners and the appropriate skilled role players to be able to conduct that test. So very specifically for the candidate um, with Somali, we don't have the candidate demand at the moment and it's not being taught at that level in any university or registered training organisation in Australia. Uh, so there's just not the demand there to be able to do it. We can't rule it out um, and we would certainly love to test at that um, that level for every language, but at the moment there's just not the demand either from an education institution, uh, candidate um or candidate space currently. So we, as of today, I think we're testing in 42 languages for interpreter. Uh, that's on track to go up to 53 by the end of 2023. We released our, um, our test dates right out until the end of 2023 uh, during the last month. So anyone can log on to our website and have a look at what's available and when to get a good idea and those test dates have been um, built around candidate demand, educa education institution demand and also language service provider and government sort of information. But it all really comes back um, and I think this topic will get touched on in lots of Ask Nighting mm. um, episodes. For us, it's quality. If we can't guarantee 
this same level of quality from an examiner and role player point of view, then we're not going to release a test in that language because it's just unfair for those that are already practising, but it would also be unfair for the candidate that went to sit that test. How long does it take usually for a language like this to become more established, have the right kind of examiners? I mean, I know that there is no set time for something like this, but, you know, you have some of these languages, they're not offered at the tertiary level um, for training. They're not tested. So how does this language develop? How do we get more people trained and then more experienced, upskill them to becoming examiners? Like, do you foresee uh, any kind of a pathway for this? Sorry, that's uh, my question. <laughs> that's okay. I, I really can probably talk uh, very specifically about the, the process and the time. I could say from a demand driven point of view and how we schedule the tests. I can give an example of something like Assyrian, which we're going to be testing later this year, I think. Yeah. Um, we had that as a recognised practising language for a long time, and it's the highest recognised practising language, so lots of candidate demand there, and candidates that are developing skills in the workplace as recognised practising uh, practitioners, uh, which gets around that lack of um, university-level training. So they've done a base level of training, managed to get into the workforce and, and build up skills in recognised practising, which has built enough demand for us to then go ahead and develop a test specifically for that language, uh, which is the point I'll throw over to Orly for talking about um, the process from that point. Once it's decided, it'll get tested. So um, from the moment we decide to develop a new language, there's a whole process uh, until test day. Um, and it starts by first assessing um, if we already have a panel uh, or if we need to recruit more examiners. So that, that adds to the development process. So if, um, I mean, the shortest timeline would be three to four months to get a first test paper in a given test type. Um, uh, so it could be for CT, for instance, for a new language. But if there's more um, recruitment needed at the, to, to create a, a good panel, um, then it might take six months sometimes. So it's actually quite a lengthy process. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not something that happens overnight. Uh, we do take the time to train our examiners and making sure um, they understand the new test formats, a new certification system, uh, and, and then uh, so they're able to develop a first test paper. Um, so that's also why we can't roll out all languages at the same time. There is a lot of work happening in the background to make sure we meet our specifications and our quality standards as well. That's right. And then we were saying in our previous episode, you know, how many people are involved in a test, you know, from the role players to the invigilators and then to examiners. Um, so it's not just a matter of getting a few people in the room and then conducting a test. That's right. Mm. Okay. Um, very good. So any recommendations for this Somali interpreter, let's say? Um, do we, is it good for them to maybe talk within their uh, community to get more people interested in interpreting in Somali? and then they just keep applying so that you see that there is interest. I mean, do you recommend something along those lines? Applications is definitely part of the um, formation of how we decide what comes next. So it helps us track demand and trend. Uh, we have, uh, which I should have mentioned before as well, 
in languages that aren't taught at the higher levels in universities in our development plan and our testing plan that um, gets released roughly two and a half to three years after CPI level tests are introduced, we look to introduce CI if there's going to be demand because that three years is also one of our um, alternate pathways to be uh, eligible for a CI level test is if you've done three years at the CPI level. So we're trying to add those languages in where there is no formal training at the higher level. We try and add them in through the work practice level as well. So the more interpreters that are that want the test that we can find out via applications or via um, via requests via uh, info at NADI, for example, uh, that's how we'll be able to start developing those. Mm. Well, you're saying some of these languages aren't available in tertiary institutions. I mean, do we recommend to tertiary institutions maybe, especially for these new and emerging languages, perhaps have some non-language specific courses uh, or, or programs that um, uh, these uh, candidates or these interpreters can access? Uh, you know, uh, there's quite a lot of, I guess, um, interpreting related or translation related courses that are valid and that are that are beyond language skills. Yeah, I think Nati's very supportive of any uh, moves by education institutions. Obviously there's a, a connection between Nati and education institutions, but we, we don't control the the syllabus or curriculum or the mm. courses offered. Um, but we are uh, I can't say exactly what we're doing, but we're we're working pretty hard at the moment with um, a couple of institutions uh, and national regulators about some of those options because we believe that there is a need for more training availability and access um, to many languages. And we know that uh, like all interpreting and translating works important. You know, you look over the last year and see how much benefit it has to society, uh, which has really brought it into focus with the health messaging. And currently we've got floods and last year the fires. So there's a real... Um, I hope I'm not biased on it. I think there's a real growing understanding that where Nadi has been leading the world in having a national mm. standard for translators and interpreters, uh, and it was always sort of accepted, I think the last couple of years I've certainly seen a bit more of a shift towards people going, well, actually, it's not just nice that we have this. It's something that we really need to push. And the most visible example is... Uh, Auslan interpreters standing side by side with premiers and, premiers and prime, prime ministers, ministers yeah. and that's just par for the course now and I think that um, with that growing demand hopefully that there's more growing uh, student numbers for education institutions that want to be able to develop it and hopefully a bit more government support for those education institutions to get some of the smaller demand languages particularly some of the refugee languages mm. um to uh, subsidise, I guess, the courses at the start uh, to allow them to, to build and gain momentum. So with Nadi continually works, I guess, behind the scenes. It's not flashy and um, out in the media much, but continually works with as many stakeholders as we can to, to increase access to courses and the more um, interpreter use that's around Australia, I think, the better for society overall and translators, I should say. Yes, all practitioners, uh, well done. It's definitely very much needed. And it was very obvious. I always say to my students, you know, 
we don't interpret in weddings and birthdays, unfortunately. Usually something bad's got to happen to someone for us to go and interpret. And and the whole nation's been feeling like this, uh, you know, patient these days. You've got fires followed by a pandemic, followed by floods now. And uh, unfortunately, it's times like this where it's quite obvious that, um, you know, language services are needed. And uh, as much as we don't want it to be, you know, obvious in ways like this, it has uh, definitely brought uh, front and centre the importance of language service uh, providers, um, interpreters, practitioners, and always uh, Nati doing a lot of work in the background. Um, I guess it's one of those uh, organisations that um, people have no idea what it is unless they're in the industry, Uh, but they do affect uh, uh, a lot of other industries and organisations. Um, so, you know, on behalf of everyone out there, thank you very much for the hard work. All Graduates Conversations Podcast. <laughs>